Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this March the 20th in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at a reading for next Sunday, which is the fifth Sunday in Lent, March the 26th, 2023. The readings are from Ezekiel chapter 37. That's about all those bones that come together into the people of Israel. The epistle is Romans chapter 8, and the gospel is 45 verses long. It's the experience of Lazarus being raised from the dead. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 45. Last week, we did a whole chapter for the sermon, John chapter 9, the man born blind who could see. That one was 41 verses long. So we got some long readings, and the one we're going to be looking, though, at today is Romans chapter 8. Now, why did I choose that? Well, I, I always read all the readings, and you could do... Boy, sermons on every one of these readings, they're so good. But Romans is a book I usually tell people to read first of all in the Bible because it is a good summary of the theology about God. A theology, two words from the Greek, theos, God, and logos, which means the word. So theology are words of God. They're both about him and they're from him. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And this is a very, very interesting verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were reading about any other religion and they said there's no condemnation for those, even in Christ Jesus, unfortunately, there are many people who think that we're not condemned because through faith in Christ Jesus, we're beginning to do good works that were not possible until we came to faith. That's called the life of sanctification. But that understanding is a reversal of how we are saved. We are saved first by being justified. That means the Holy Spirit comes to us, gives us faith, and we believe the promise that Jesus paid for our sins. You see... If you get arrested for something and you get found to be guilty and the judge says you need to go to jail for three months, but then someone in the courtroom stands up and says, I'd be willing to take those three months for him and be in jail in his place. Guess what? The judge although that would never really happen, 
He could say, you are no longer condemned. You are free to go because someone else is paying for your penalty. That's what Jesus did. That's the reason there is no condemnation. But the Apostle Paul, in writing that, goes on to explain what he means by it. This is verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Now, there the word law is not talking about the Ten Commandments or the ceremonial laws or the civil laws. It's just talking about a principle. Namely, there's two ways that the Bible talks about how a person can be saved. The one way is by obeying the commandments perfectly. If Adam and Eve had never sinned in the Garden of Eden, perhaps we'd all be there right now. But because of sin, there is a principle of the law of sin and death. Remember, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. And that doesn't just necessarily mean you will be buried in the ground. It's talking about that you have lost your relationship with the source of life, namely God himself. That's what is meant by death. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. Remember, after they sinned and they realized they had sinned, they tried to hide from God in some bushes, forgetting that God is everywhere. There's no place to hide from God. So the principle of trying to be saved by following the law always ends up in the accusation of death. And if a person remains in that state until their body dies and is buried, they will go to hell. That's what the church is all about, to bring people out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul means by the law or the principle of the spirit of life. And the word spirit in the English is capitalized. What does that remind you of? The Holy Spirit, who gives you life through the holy sacrament of baptism. You, you can't talk about salvation uh, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, which for many of us came during our baptism as infants. For others, it came as uh, reading passages like this from Romans. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He was reading a similar passage of theology from the book of Isaiah about a man who is going to die for others. And he says, well, to Philip, is that man the author of the book? 
or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip went through and told him all about Jesus. And you can't talk about Jesus after his ascension without talking about his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and the day of Pentecost, namely the day of baptism. So the Ethiopian eunuch saw water as they were traveling in their chariot. He said, what prevents me from being baptized? And immediately he and Philip went down to the water and Philip baptized him. He had faith in Jesus Christ, where just before that, he was confused about what Isaiah was saying. And that's why we're going through Romans chapter 8, because people can be confused. Why don't we have condemnation? Is that because I am not worthy of condemnation because I am doing all the commandments? No. Even after you have faith, even after you've been baptized, guess what? You continue to sin. And in our confession of sins, we deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. I, I can't believe how many so-called Christian churches, and, and some of them are Christian, do not have an absolution in the worship service. What's the absolution? It's where the pastor speaks on behalf of God, saying, upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the forgiveness of sins to you. I don't have any power as a pastor to forgive sins, but I am God's ambassador, and he uses my mouth to speak his words. So when I indicate to the congregation, all your sins are forgiven upon a proper confession of repentance, that's God speaking to them. That's the principle of life in the spirit in contrast to the life of sin and death. So we have a problem. And the first thing we do in adult instruction or youth confirmation is to show what your problem is. And that's by going through the Ten Commandments, the law, showing that you break every one of the Ten Commandments, if not by deed, by thought, and by word. And therefore, you cannot be saved by obedience to the law, because as an unbeliever, you can't even do a good work that has the proper motivation of love for the triune God. Paul mentions this in verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, how easy is that to understand? God does something that we are unable to do because of our sinful flesh. 
and that is to obey the commandments perfectly. We fall short of the glory of God. This is a tremendous good news message after we hear that we cannot save ourselves by the law. Well, how's that good news? Well, we go on with verse 3, because Paul explains it. By sending his son in the flesh. That's verse 3 ending. That's how God did for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Why would he send his own son, Jesus, in the flesh? Because he is going to die as the punishment for our sins. He cannot die for his sins because he does not ever sin. So therefore, when he's on the cross, he's dying for somebody's sins, and being God, he's dying for the sins of the world. So, verse 3 goes into verse 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by our flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. You see, that was the importance of the baptism of Jesus by John the baptizer. While John argued with him that I need to be baptized by you, not vice versa, Jesus said, no, in order to fulfill all righteousness, he had to go through this rite of baptism for the repentance of sins, but not for his sins. He was declared to be sin by God, the Father, in order that he would pay the punishment that you and I deserved. So, verse 4, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, do you understand that? Nobody goes to heaven unless they have fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law from God's point of view. Now, every other religion thinks that that means our obedience by works. But Christianity denies that because it says that the righteous required of the law is fulfilled in us. In other words, you are declared righteous. How? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we are born with original sin. That means we walk according to the flesh. In other words, 
we love to sin because it's what's in it for us kind of thing. We enjoy sin because we think it makes our life more happy. I mean, when was the last time that you had decided to do a sin with the knowledge that this was spitting at Jesus Christ? No, that knowledge comes after you do the sin and leads to repentance, sorrow over what you have done to Jesus and request that he forgive you. That's what is talked about by walking according to the spirit. All we need to do is keep reminding us of the book of Proverbs written by Solomon under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, the law is distinguished from the gospel. That means the law is important because it does two things. Well, it really has three purposes. The first is the purpose given to the government to halt evil deeds, and the law is used to punish criminals. The second use God makes of the law, and this is a good use, is as a mirror. So when you look at the law, you find yourself as a sinner, unable to save yourself by your good works. When you come to faith in Jesus, one of the questions you often will have is what is God's will for my life? And that's where the spirit motivates you to follow God's will as it is explained not only in the book of Proverbs, but throughout the entire Bible. We call that the life of sanctification. Obeying the law in the life of sanctification is not the reason why you are saved, because you have to be already saved to obey the law. It is instead obedience to the law for a Christian is the result of knowing how far Jesus went to save you from your sin. And therefore you are declared righteous. Paul continues in Romans 8 verse 5, a wonderful summary of the Christian faith. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So let's take an example. In a marriage, a husband and wife promise to be faithful to one another. This does not mean that at times they may have thoughts for other people that are impure. But the Holy Spirit reminds them that that is not the will of God. And so they can overcome that temptation by trusting in the promises of Jesus, 
that he never gives you a temptation beyond your ability to endure it with the help of Christ. And therefore, many times we don't act on the temptation. But even if we do and have a bad thought, we know that the Spirit forgives us through the promises of Jesus. In other words, if you have your mind on the flesh, according to verse 6, that results in death. But to have your mind set on the Spirit results in life and peace. And that peace is the peace between you and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There no longer is a dividing wall of hostility between God and you. God recognizes that you are faithful to his promises, forgives you your sins, and therefore the life and peace is a life in the kingdom of God, even here on earth. And peace doesn't refer to having a wonderful life here on earth, but a wonderful life in God that can translate into many bountiful things on earth, but an eternity of bounty in heaven. So why is having the mind on the flesh so dangerous? Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it's not submitting to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So when you go through a book like Proverbs, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are believers and there are unbelievers. The unbelievers who have their minds set on the flesh really hate the true God. They invent a God that satisfies their understanding of what God should be like. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible are those Holy Trinity persons. And therefore, verse 8 is really important. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's every unbeliever. He cannot please God because even though he may outwardly do a good work, like feeding the poor, his motivation is never a proper one. It is always a selfish one. So Paul says to these Romans, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And there is a promise that you have the gift of the Spirit when you are baptized. In fact, in Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, you get two gifts. You get the gift of the forgiveness of sins, and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The next part of verse 9. 
anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. This is really something to look at. You are not conscious of the Holy Spirit or Christ being within you because of your sinful nature that continues to go against the commandments of God. But you know that the Spirit is in you because of his promise in the waters of baptism. Remember, Nicodemus asked Jesus, I need to be reborn twice. I have to get back in my mother's womb. No, Jesus reminds him that by the Spirit, you are saved. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit in you is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. That's talking about Judgment Day. Because even though you are alive in your spirit in heaven with Jesus after you die, your mortal body is not alive. And this is a promise that through the Holy Spirit, your mortal body will be brought back to life, rejoined with your spirit to dwell with the Holy Trinity eternally. Boy, this Romans 8, 1 to 11, you ought to put that on a piece of paper and carry it in your pocket when somebody asks you, you know, what do Lutherans mean? by the difference between law and gospel. A beautiful summary of what Christianity is all about. And we'll talk about that on tomorrow's hymn, My Song is Love Unknown, God Bless You. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.